The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. More information about the church is available at www.gracefcwesterville.org. You know, every every Sunday morning at our church, yeah, it's a it's a tiny little church. It's it's a great group of people. Uh, I don't take this in, by way of comparison, but as a group, it was absolutely one of the friendliest places we've ever walked into. And every morning, they like to. They insist, you know how old, ch- smaller churches used to do it, greet one another, and they, you know, they, they would rather do that than have a sermon. I got a call, and that's enough fellowship. Why don't you just sit down and ignore one another like the rest of the body of Christ does? So, now, it's, it's you know where Jesus lives, don't you? In the Christian next to you. So when you're hugging one another, Christ is hugging you back. Seriously. God reveals himself in nature, right? Natural revelation. He reveals himself in history. That's providential revelation. He reveals himself in scripture. That's special revelation. And he reveals himself in Christ. That's incarnational revelation. Christ has ascended back to the right hand of the Father, but his spirit is in all of his followers, so Christ on earth is you. So when you give me a hug and a handshake, and when we love one another, and as you do to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it and received it from Jesus. God is still speaking in the world. Everybody living on the world is without excuse. God has revealed himself in the heavens, has he not? Yes, Romans 1. God has revealed himself in history, yes. Daniel, chapter, pick your chapter. God has revealed himself in scripture. That book is all over the world. Even the people that hate it have a copy so they know what they hate. And God has revealed himself in his people. And we're all over the world. When I visited China recently, recently, a few years back, the progress of the body of Christ in China is such that by 2025, quiz, what's the population of the United States, basically? 300 million. Born-again Christians in China by 2025, at the rate they're increasing, will be 300 million. That's a witness. Imagine if they all loved one another as Jesus loved them. Imagine if we do, by the power of the Spirit. Now, before we get into our next message, I want to do a little advertising, or and nobody knows I'm doing this. First of all, I don't know if you're between churches. I don't know if you're frustrated with the state of the church, I don't know, at large, and you wish you had a church home. I have known about this church through brothers and sisters who go here, and I have now come to know the pastor who preaches only Christ from the Word, goes verse by verse through the Bible. No frills, no trumpets, no dancing bears with beach balls, no ponies, 
just Jesus, the scripture. And he doesn't know I'm doing this. He didn't put me up to this. But if I were in this area looking for a church, I'd give Grace Fellowship a try. Honestly. Because Pastor Craig knows Jesus and is loved by Jesus. And Jesus walks with him. And he'll tell you about Jesus. That's a good start. Uh, Another commercial. Some of you know me, have known me for a while, and you're asking the same question. So what are you doing? I'll tell you. I don't know. (laughs) No. (laughs) I don't know, whatever I think about in the morning. No, I'm not retired. Uh, I did not go out into the desert, grow my hair long like a ponytail, and ride across the desert on a motorcycle like Willie Nelson. Remember I said I was going to do that. I did not do that. My wife doesn't like ponytails on me, so it never got that long. We went to uh, Mesa, Arizona, knowing we were supposed to be on the move. We were supposed to be there. Um, The first church we visited connected me to an opportunity to help a church of about 45 people who had lost their way. Uh, I wasn't going to be their pastor. I was going to be their intentional interim, help them redefine themselves according to the Bible, and then help them find a new pastor. By the time that process was over, they wanted me to be the new pastor. And I said, no, you got the wrong guy. I'm way too old. You need a young guy. And they said, we'll hire a young guy if you will become the lead pastor and train him. And I went, okay. So I'm the lead pastor at Boulder Mountain Community Church Uh, God is blessing the work. I mean, if numbers mean anything, he's blessing it qualitatively, but quantitatively we can at least compare. Last year we were 45 people during the summer. This year we're 100. And God loves his word. He brings to a safe place where Jesus is taught and honored and glorified. Um, I wrote a paper. I read it at a conference. Someone in the audience was asked me where I lived, and they said, uh, why don't you teach at our seminary, uh, which is Golden Gate Baptist Theological Seminary. We're located in Scottsdale, Arizona, which is 20 minutes from where I live. So now I'm a pastor, and I finally get to be a seminary professor. Uh, Boy, are those students in for a shock. (laughs) Now, I teach a professor of New Testament and uh, uh, hermeneutics, and... um, Look forward to a nice ministry with them. That's some of what we've been doing. As those of you who have never met the brains of this organization, Mary, my lovely wife and mentor, <laughs> Mary, if you would stand up and just face everybody. Um, without her, I'm not me. Humanly speaking. Guys, if you're honest, you know that's true about yourself. You know, we're like the guy who says, fooling around with things, hey, everybody, watch this. Boom. Right? The wife goes, don't light that. And we're safe. That's all I have to say.
Those are my commercials. That brings you up to date in our lives. Uh, we're surrounded by wonderful Christian people just like I am this morning. And God has had our, had our forward march, and he's had our rear guard. He's never left us or forsake us, nor will he ever. And as scared as I get about the future, and I do get scared, God steps in and says, <coughs> look at me. You know, the Christian walk is kind of like, you know, when you had a little kid, if you've ever had a little kid, if you've ever been a little kid, have you ever been a little kid? And your mom or dad says, trust me, hold my hand. You can, you can walk. And you go, <laughs> and finally you reach out and you trust them and they hold your hand and you walk. And you learn, wow, I can trust that. And then a little while later, maybe a year later, they have you at the edge of the pool. Same dad, new circumstances. And they say, jump in. I got you. And you go, oh, no. I'm dry. I'm safe. But I got you. Remember when we walked and I had you? Yeah, but that wasn't water. Right? And you as a parent, you're not going, you're this stupid kid. Why don't they trust me? You're going, I know they'll jump in one day. Because it's the way life is. And then finally they go, I better not. And you don't go, you're not angry because they waited so long. You delight. That's the Christian life. You know what we had to trust God for, remember, 15 years ago? We just we get just as scared over the edge of the pool that he has us by right now. It's the same father, same strong arm, just different water. And we have a tendency to look at the water and not our father, right? That mess. And our father's not aggravated. He's not frustrated about it. He knows exactly what he got when he got us the first day. And he's been delighting in the process ever since. He really has. I hope you see your heavenly father like that. If you don't, get over your religion. And get over yourself. And look to Jesus. Because it's only man's religion that would say he's dangling you over the pit waiting for you to make a mistake. I don't read the Bible saying that to the righteous. And the last time I checked, remember right here about here on the board, whose righteousness do I have? Jesus' righteousness. That's all the Father needs. That's all the Father needs. It's a perfect life, almost, except for the mess <laughs> that's still around us and that we're still part of. But it's a perfect life. And I'd like to talk about the perfect life as it's progressing along. And it still counts to Jesus. Yeah, but I'd like to say that in the perfect life, Jesus responds to our needs 
our daily need by mediating life. He's the one present, extending his hand, internally, but extending, metaphorically, extending his hand, saying, John, I got this. I got this. You know that illness that you just heard you have? It's no surprise. I got this. You know that river you're about to cross? I'm on the other side, too. You know that situation you're in? There are no big circumstances today. Jesus mediates life. In fact, turn to Acts chapter 2. Around verse 33. I got that one written down. It is verse 33. Acts chapter 2, verse 33. This is after the resurrection. This is on the day of Pentecost. The Spirit of God has just been poured out. Everybody's sort of looking around, listening to all of their their native languages, being speaking the praises of God, and some are accusing the disciples of being drunk early in the morning, and Peter gets up to, to explain what's going on. And he says, now, what you see here is what Joel the prophet promised. This is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you what happened to make this day happen. And in Acts 2.33, here it says, says, this Jesus, verse 32, God raised up. And we are all witnesses. Verse 33, being therefore exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Spirit, he, Jesus, has poured this out that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Jesus, after the cross, was exalted to the right hand of God. Now, some of us in our faith, statements of faith, and I don't want to argue, some of us say he was exalted to be Lord of lords and King of kings, sit on the throne of his majesty. But the book of Hebrews has another picture of Jesus. He didn't go up to heaven to sit on a throne of majesty, He went up to heaven to sit on a throne of grace, and he didn't go up there as king of kings and lord of lords at this time. He went up there, according to Hebrews chapters 7, 8, 9, and 10, he went up there as the great high priest, having finished his work in the cross, having offered one sacrifice. Read it in Hebrews 9 sometime. We don't have time this morning to go there and unpack all that. In Hebrews 9, by one sacrifice, he finished his work, The Aaronic priest daily ministers and stands continually, daily ministering burnt offerings and offerings. Jesus, with one sacrifice, finished his work, ascended to the right hand of the Father. That's what it says in Hebrews 9 and 10. And he sat down, having finished his work. He sits at the Father's right hand, not as the King of kings and Lord of lords. He sits there as the great high priest, having finished the sacrificial work. Having finished his work, the Father then gave to Jesus the authority, the administrative, the mediating responsibility of pouring out the Holy Spirit on all those who would follow him so that they could have, we could have, the same spirit that Jesus had when he walked the earth. Remember, he said to his disciples, I'm going away, but I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I will send you another comforter, another of the same kind. Like I am, the spirit who's been with you, he's going to be in you. It's all in John chapters 14, 15, and 16. Jesus says it over and over and over again. Day of Pentecost, it happened. 
he was glorified, sat down at the Father's right hand as the great high priest on the throne of grace, according to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, and on this throne of grace receives the Spirit, the permission to pour out the Spirit by the Father and pours it out on all of his followers. Even John the Baptist said that would happen. He says, I baptize you with water, but there stands one among you who will one day baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Jesus does the baptizing. The Spirit is what we're immersed in. Jesus is mediating life. Why do I say that? Well, somebody flip over to John 6, 63 and tell me what you read. Read it. Somebody. John 6, 63. It's almost like Sunday school. It's the spirit that quickens. It's the spirit that gives life. And my words are spirit and truth. It's the Spirit that gives life. Jesus pours out, did I say it? He pours out life. He gets life from the Father. He even said that in John chapter 9. He says, the life I have, the Father gives me. I live because of the Father. And whoever eats me lives because of me. That's the exchange life, Father, Son, Son, us. And when Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father, he gets the spirit of life. He's even called the spirit of life in John. He gets the spirit of life and he gives us his life. He mediates life. By the way, question in the last, Adam never had that. He only had his own life. You have your own life and you have divine life life. I'll take plan A over plan B. Plan, plan B is G Adam never fell. Plan A is Adam fell, the mess was created, God steps in to clean the mess, and in doing so has a better plan than we could have ever imagined. Eye has never seen and tongue has never spoken of those things which God has planned for those who love him. Right? So Jesus mediates the life-giving spirit, Acts 2.33. It's the spirit who gives life. Paul said so, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, the letter kills. The letter, that's Moses' law. The letter kills, but the spirit gives life. How many times do we need to hear that? The spirit gives life. Jesus gives life. If your body is dead because of sin, your spirit is alive because of the spirit. If the spirit of Christ who if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead indwells you, then though the body is dead, you are alive by the spirit. Wow. Paul said it this way to the Colossians. Christ, who is our life, said it this way to the Philippians. To live is Christ. There's a lot in that little phrase, isn't there? So the, the Christ, the the high priest after the order of Melchizedek, an eternal priesthood that has no genealogy to qualify it, just an indestructible life, Hebrews chapter 7, an indestructible life of the order of Melchizedek, the son of Abraham, the son of David, the son of God, sits at the Father's right hand and mediates life to all those who would put their trust in him. So you and I have divine life by the hand of Jesus Christ and this divine life, the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that Jesus has, enlivens us. The first thing the Spirit does when he gets here is he 
regenerates us. We were dead in trespasses and sin, but God in his great love with which he loves us, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, the great love with which he loved us, even though we were dead, has made us alive. God has made us alive. And who's the person of the Trinity that ushers forth that life? It's the Spirit. And by whose hand? The Son. And at whose command? The Father's. The Father says to the Son, give him life. The Son says, here, have some life. And the Spirit says, you're alive. He regenerates us, something we never experienced. The moment you said yes to Jesus, you were born again. It says in John chapter 3, verse 6, that which is born of flesh is, that which is born of spirit is spirit. He gave life to your spirit. You became alive toward God. Something that was never there before is now there, animated and connected to God. I'll take that over a garden where God's just walking around next to me. He's given me all things that pertain to life and godliness. It says in the next verse in 2 Peter that we become partakers of the divine nature. I don't understand all of that, but it's true. I may never understand all that, and probably there will come a day when I won't care anymore but it's still true. Partaker of the divine nature, the, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and the person of the Holy Spirit indwelling me, giving me divine life, giving me eternal life. The eternal life isn't something I have. It's a place I exist. It's a person that exists in me. He who has the Son has life. And this is the witness that we have, that eternal life we saw, we handled, we handled eternal life. First John, chapter 1, right? Eternal life. And where is that eternal life now? The eternal life has come in me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Where do you think that life is? In every believer. Who do you think mediates that life? The high priest, Jesus, sitting at the right hand of the Father on a throne of judgment. No, grace. How cool can that be? That's a perfect life. In the perfect life, Jesus responds to our need by mediating life itself. Acts 2.33 and a lot of other verses. It's the Spirit who gives life. John 6.63. He regenerates us. John 3.6. He indwells us. It's not just enough that he gives us life where we were dead. He now comes to reside in us. Romans chapter 8. Verse 9, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of Christ dwells in you. And if you don't have the spirit of Christ, you don't belong to him. But if Christ is in you, and on and on, we've read that passage a number of times this morning. He indwells us. He's made his home in us. We individually and we collectively as the people of God are now the temple of God, not as rocks made out of stone, but as living stones with Christ the chief cornerstone and the apostles and prophets as the foundation to that temple. And it's an inter eternal dwelling place for the living God. You, the church, are the eternal dwelling place of the living God. Not because we deserve it, not because we earned it, but because God had that planned when? Before it ever got started. 
That's amazing. He not only regenerates, he indwells. He not only indwells, but in indwelling, he answers Jesus' prayer in the garden when he says, Father, I want them to be one as you and I are one, and I want us to be in them, and I want them to be in us. He unites us. The Spirit of God coming into us unites us with Christ. We're united with Christ in the likeness of his death. When we're united with Christ in the likeness of his death, that means we were crucified with Christ. It isn't something you earn. It's something you get the moment you say yes to Jesus Christ. You are crucified with Christ. When you are crucified with Christ, you die to the law. When you die to the law, you die to the power of sin because the sting of sin is death and the strength of the death is the law. And when the law is gone and you're dead to the law, sin loses its sting and it can't kill you anymore. It can't kill you. It's impossible to kill a righteous person with sin anymore because it's powerless. We're dead to the law. Romans chapter 6 verses 2 through 6. Don't you know that as many of you as are baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? That isn't something you earn. It's a birthright. You've been identified with Christ. You've been married to a new person. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 7. Woohoo! This is good. It's all, it's, it's good. Listen to this. Likewise, brethren, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that you may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new ways of the spirit and not in the old ways of the written code. When you were identified with Christ, when you were united with Christ, you were united with him in the likeness of his death. You were crucified with Christ, but you were also united with him in the likeness of his resurrection. The life force of Jesus Christ, almighty God, that raised him from the dead, the spirit of life that raised Christ from the dead, now courses through our members to give us life in our mortal bodies. Dead to the law, estranged from the power of sin and alive to Jesus Christ to bear fruit for God. We have been grafted into the vine who is life himself. You can say amen. <laughs> this is good. You didn't earn it. But we've been united. We've been united to Christ says in Colossians chapter 2 it says and you are complete in him in other words you don't have to join a cult anywhere to get the rest right if you've got Jesus you all got all the father needs for you to give there's no secret formula pastor Craig that you can give these people. It's not a secret. The secret's out. His name is Jesus. <laughs> yes, amen. I'd come to church here. <laughs> the secret's out. There's no five mysteries to the Christian life. There's no six secret steps. 
There's no three secret formulas. God didn't want to keep it a secret. The word was made flesh and it dwelt among us. God revealed himself, not kept himself hidden. He made himself manifest. The mystery of godliness is manifest. God was manifest in the flesh, right? He's not hiding it. I got nothing new to tell you. It's just old stuff. When Christ ascended to heaven, he gave his people the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gave us life. The Holy Spirit indwells us unto the day of redemption. It's permanent. You can't kick them out. You'd like to some days, especially for what some of us have planned. You w wish God wasn't around for that. But even when you do what you planned, he doesn't leave. He just goes, I'm waiting. He'll jump in the pool someday. I know the end of the story. I've seen his life. He not only unites us to the likeness of Christ's death and frees us from the power of sin because he removes us from the tyranny, the, the, law, the law of sin and death, but he unites us to the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. So now that we have Christ, our life, in us. But then the Spirit does something else, and it's all being mediated by Jesus. Don't, get, don't lose sight of Jesus. He's the high priest who's mediating the new covenant, and this is all in the new covenant. He says, I will remember their sin no more. I will write my law upon their heart, and I will put my spirit within them. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, and Ezekiel 36 and 37. I will write my law within their hearts, and I will put my spirit within them. And this is day of Pentecost is when the new covenant was inaugurated. Jesus even said so in the upper room. He says, this is the blood of the new covenant when he held up the cup. He's the mediator of a new covenant. 2 Corinthians 3, Hebrews 9 and 10. But the Spirit is in us now, the living person of God, the Father, Son, but Holy Spirit is in us. And the Spirit does something else to us. He not only regenerates us, He not only indwells us, He not only unites us with the Godhead, with Christ Himself, but He leads us. It's the mark of the Christian. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 14, As many as are led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. Instead of being, le being led by outside ordinances such as touch not, taste not, which was the law of Moses, we now have the living God inside of us with the law of God written on our hearts and the Spirit of God guiding us, saying, Come with me. Come with me. Jesus said, one born of the Spirit is like the one born on the wind. Right? Uh, John 3. We open our sails and the wind fills the sails and the boat glides along and the Spirit bears us along as many as are led by the Spirit. These are the sons of God. We're not led by creeds. We're not led by traditions. The Spirit can use all of that. Don't get me wrong. But we're led by the Spirit. For some of you, that's a scary proposition because you say, wait, 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 where's the checks and balances on this? The Spirit, the law of Christ. 
Not the law of Moses, not the Ten Commandments, not the Twenty Commandments, not the Fifty Commandments, not the Six Hundred and Thirty Commandments. The law of Christ is what the Spirit uses because that's written on your heart, and he will guide you, lead you. Or I'm misreading the word. I mean, Help me out, Pastor Craig. Did I get that one wrong? Does the Spirit of God lead the child of God? And is it the mark of sonship? Yeah, he's saying absolutely, in case you can't hear him. Absolutely, I paid him to say that, to agree with him, yeah. So he regenerates, he indwells, he unites, he leads. And when we follow, when we get in step with the Spirit, in case you haven't understood this before, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, it says, you've been made alive by the Spirit, now get in step with the Spirit. If he, if he leads, and by the way, leadership means who's in front? Spirit. Who initiates? Spirit. We don't lead him. He won't follow, by the way. He's got a mind of his own. And nobody gives him counsel. Remember, we read that verse in the first one. But he has the mind of God. The Spirit searches the deep things of God. First, second, first Corinthians chapter 2. The Spirit searches the deep things of God. He knows the mind of God. He knows the will of the Father. He is the mind of Christ. First Corinthians 2.16. We have the mind of Christ dwelling in us. And he will lead us. He will lead, go forward. And it says in Galatians chapter 5.25, if you've been made alive by the Spirit, you born again people, then get in step, get in line with the Spirit. When he leads, move. Walk with him. If you walk by the Spirit, Galatians 5.16, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. He'll lead you away from sin. He'll cut sin off at the pass. You won't have to confess sins because you won't be committing those ones anymore. He'll break flesh patterns. You know those flesh patterns? I can't help get angry. Oh, I wish I could control my anger. Well, the Spirit of God doesn't get angry like that. And he doesn't worry. He's never known the Spirit of God to worry. When he starts worrying, I'll get worried. Right, Mike? If he ever worries, I don't want to know about it. Because I'd probably jump off something higher than a pool there. The Spirit of God will tap me on the shoulder, my inner self, my bearing witness to my spirit. He'll say, uh, danger. You're about to lose your cool. Give it to me. How many times has he done that? Even when I teach, he'll put thoughts in my head. Say this instead. Don't say that. You'll alienate some people. Say this instead. You ever get that happen to you, Pastor Craig, while you're preaching? Yeah. Yeah. That's the Spirit of God. Say, I never hear the Spirit of God in an audible voice. That's okay. He talks to all of us the way we are able to listen. Because we're all different. Remember that? We're all unique. Some of us need it on a list. Some of us need it on a page. Some of us need it with a two-by-four across the back of the head. Some of us need it. Some of us need the still, small voice. Okay, I'm not going to tell you here's the way he will always talk, but I can tell you where he will always lead. He will lead you to fulfill the law of Christ. 
and he will lead you away from violating the law of Christ. Why? Because that's the law written on your heart, and that's the imitation of Jesus Christ. That is who Jesus Christ is. He is that. So he will lead us, and then he will enable us. If we get in step with the Spirit, he will enable us. No wonder why it says in Romans 8.13, it says, you are not, no, if, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. By the Spirit we live. By the Spirit we live. The mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. If we sow to the Spirit, we will reap eternal life. That's not a home in heaven. That's a quality of life right now. I experience eternal life. And who is eternal life? Jesus is. Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my commandments. And if he keeps my commandments, my father and I will make our home in him. He's already in me, but for some of our lives, he's not at home. We move around too much with regard to the will of the father, and he can't find a chair to sit in. talk about that some more he enables us he enables me to overcome that undertow called sin which God in his wisdom left in my mortal body because God didn't want me to just have a he wanted me to walk by faith so the perfect life Jesus is at the right hand of the father mediating life regenerating those who trust him indwelling those uniting us with the Godhead, leading us forward in righteousness and away from sin, enabling us to accomplish that righteousness. And at the end of it all, at the end of the day, moment to moment, trust in him following the leading of the Holy Spirit, we actually become different people. Flesh patterns that I had 20 years ago do not exist in me anymore. The guy who got saved November 30th, 1969 at a rock festival is not the guy talking to you right now. He's older. He hurts more. <laughs> he gets up slowly, more slowly. No, you understand what I mean. The things that frightened me in 1969, the things that worried me in 1970, the patterns of worry, the patterns of anger, the patterns of cussing, the patterns of unforgiveness that used to control my life, many of them are gone. I mean, they're not even part of the landscape. I'm not even tempted to go there. I don't even think about going there. That doesn't mean I'm perfect. No, but I'm being changed. I'm being changed. Like it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, or maybe chapter 3. I get these books mixed up. Is that a sign of something? And we all, with an unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image as the Lord, from one degree of glory to another. I'm being changed, not because I'm good, but because the Spirit is life. And the life-giving spirit transforms us from the people we were and the habits we had into new habits. Habits not of the flesh, but habits of the spirit. 
It's possible. Jesus came to clean up the mess. And God designed the mess because it was so bad that only God could do it. He didn't want a life that we could fix. He didn't want to give us a life that we could get the glory for. He didn't want to put us in circumstances that we could worm our way out of. You can't fix your own heart. That's the point. Only God the Spirit can fix our heart. Only Jesus Christ is the one who mends the shattered lives that we have. And don't tell me our lives haven't been shattered from time to time. Only Jesus can do that. He transforms us. He's in the reclamation business. He's in the reconstruction business. He's not in the condemning business right now. He says, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to thank you. He's not looking to find fault with you. He already knows them. He's looking to fix you. Get that religion out of your head that says he's waiting to stomp. If you're the righteous, you're hid in Christ. You're a new creation. Old things have passed away. I do know that verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. That's how the Father sees you. Son's righteousness. The Son's substitutionary death. The Son's satisfactory death and the Spirit's life. You're united with God. You're dead to the law. Those who are have died, Romans 6, verse 8, those 6, verse 7, those who have died are freed from sin. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I know that's tough to accept, but you got to trust your Father. He's the one who said it. I'm not making it up. And some of us just can't get our faith arms around those good, that good news. Somehow we still think we got to pay God off and earn his recompense. Jesus already did it. Please accept him by faith. Christian, come back to Jesus Christ. Dump your religion. Your religion can't satisfy you and your religion can't fix you. It can only cover over all of those things and make you acceptable to people who are thinking just like you. Jesus is life. He's mediating life. He's given us the life-giving spirit that alone transforms. I often tell my classes, I don't want reformation. I want transformation. I can reform myself with enough effort and the right two-step, ten-step, 20-step thing, I can probably quit any habit I have. That doesn't change my heart. I want to be changed. I want to experience life with a capital L. And his name is Jesus. Well, in the perfect life, what should I do then? Just sit back and Press the button, use the remote control. Well, how are the righteous to live? Habakkuk 2, 4 or 5. Live by faith. 
Paul said it this way. We walk by faith, not by sight. Turn to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. The exchange life verse. Galatians 2.20. It gets a lot of what we've been talking about all rolled up into one verse. It's a pretty cool verse. If you don't know it, get to know it. Unpack it. Mess around with it. Let it change your life. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. That's a perfect tense. You like Greek? I'll give you some Greek. It's a perfect tense. It means it's already been done. You don't have to do it to yourself. You have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, even though you've died with Christ, what does it say? Nevertheless, I live. But then there's a caveat. But not I. What does it say? Come on. Who? Christ lives in me. The exchange life. Right? Just like Jesus says, I live because of the Father, you will live because of me. Christ lives in me. Paul said that. But so rather than think of him and be a, a Christ robaton, he then gets very personal. He says, but the life that I, that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. See that? The response God wants from us is the same response he wanted from Abraham. Abraham, look up. Count the stars. How many do you see? I can't count them. So shall your descendants be. You know what, God? I believe you. I count your response of faith as righteousness. He counted his faith as righteousness. God hasn't wanted any other response from his people ever since. And what kind of faith did Abraham have? Turn to Romans chapter 4, verse 21. One of the best definitions, inside look in, of faith in the entire Bible. It's not a I hope so kind of thing. And that's the problem I've had with my own Christian life. There have been some of the things I've read, and I don't think about it, and I say, I, I hope that's true. Let's see how that works. No, listen to what Abraham, Abraham was told he was going to have a kid, and, of course, he understood now he was 99, he couldn't have kids, and Sarah was 89, and she couldn't have kids. And so verse 20, it says, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Verse 21, here's a description of Abraham's faith. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. You want to know what was going on inside of Abraham? He was fully convinced that when God pointed to the stars, God could give him those number of kids. He didn't even blink. Fully convinced. The problem I have with God's word is I look at it and I go, well, I hope so. Because I'm not there yet. I'm not ready to jump in the pool. I'm still looking at the water going, <laughs> I'm still looking at my own failures day by day saying, you know, where is this spirit? I thought he was supposed to work. What does that sound like? I'm not convinced yet. Abraham was fully convinced. You know the definition of faith in Hebrews 11, verse 1? Faith is the assurance 
of things not of things hoped for. And it's the conviction of things not seen. Assurance and conviction, fully convinced. You get this idea about faith? It's not the amount. It's the object. God said something. We've read some of those things he said, didn't we? Regenerate you, indwell you, lead you. If you're like me, you're not fully convinced he's going to lead you. Not fully convinced that he has your back. Not fully convinced yet. You'd like to see a sign, wouldn't you? Give me a shooting star or anything. Got anything up there? I know what your Bible says, but I'm not fully convinced. Because there's too much of this evidence around me that says otherwise. I'm looking at my age. I can't have kids. I'm not fully convinced yet. Abraham would have still had to wait. How many of us have looked at what God has word, been to conferences just like this, where the been to hear your pastor tell you the same exact thing, and you sit there, that's nice, that's good news, but the unholy but. What you're about to say is what you're really thinking. I know Jesus died for my sins, but I know Jesus says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, but I know the Spirit will enable me, but, but what? You don't know it yet. Sorry. You're thinking about it, but you're not fully convinced. I understand. I'm there. I've got the edge of the pool that I'm supposed to jump into that I'm scared about. It's called growing up. I'm still growing up. I got the same Bible. I look at it and I go, but at least give me a shooting star. Am I on the right path? Cloudy. I mean, come on. Cut me some slack. Would you send me some kind of a sign, some kind of a, and he says, you have Moses and the prophets. You wouldn't believe it if a planet hit your house. Right? Jesus said that. Abraham said that to the rich man. He says, you know, if somebody came back from the dead and talked to your brothers, they wouldn't believe it. Tell them to go read Moses and the prophets. Jesus came back from the dead. Not very many people believe that. Even if somebody came back from the dead, you wouldn't believe it if you're not going to believe it. Faith is a confident conviction. And faith is the response that God looks for us from us in life. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We have to take God's word about the Christian life and say, you know what, that's true. His grace is all sufficient. His life is in me. His life is in me. Doggone it, I'm confident of that. I just read it. The Father said it, that settles it. I'm confident of that. And his life is going to live in me. I don't know how that works. I can't explain all the goings-ons about that. But he said it. And instead of fighting this sin on my own, instead of trying to be righteous on my own, I'm going to go to the throne of grace and receive grace and mercy to help in my time of need. And it can neither be earned or accommodated, it's just there because that's who God is. 
And that's what he wants to be. He wants to be the Lord of my life. He wants to lead me, and he wants me to get in line and give me life, and life more abundant. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and nobody will ever pluck them out of my hand. That's what he wants for us. Did you believe that? Well, I, I hope so. I'm thinking about it. I'm working on it. I understand. So am I. But it's true. Faith is a confident conviction like Abraham. He believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Faith is the only response for life with God. An act of faith in the death of Christ completely cleans up the mess with my standing with God. Jesus died on the cross and Jesus says, Paul said to the jailer when he said, what must I do to be saved? He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. An act of faith. A response in faith, trusting God's promises about the sufficiency of Christ's death on the cross, enters, ushers you into eternal life. It's a free gift. It can't be earned. It can't be explained other than God loves and he's gracious and merciful. And everything you've ever done, everything you've ever done despicable, hidden, that nobody else knows about, those secret thoughts, those miserable thoughts, those hideous habits, everything that, that even your wife, your children, your spouse doesn't know anything about, they've all been paid for on the cross. Including tomorrow's stuff. And next week's stuff. Now, if you don't believe what I just said, then you're working for your salvation. Stop it. But if you believe what I just said, bask in it for a while. Get rid of your religion and just go, Being justified freely. Being justified as a gift through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Unmerited favor and no performance-based acceptance. The only place in the universe you will find unconditional, non-performance acceptance. God. In the Son. The Son has already performed all the Father needs. If that's not true, I'm a dead man. And I'm just preaching a bunch of junk. <laughs> I got nothing for you. But it is true. God said it. And like Abraham, we say, I believe that, and it's counted as righteousness, right? Amen. So that takes care of your, your standing. You're in good standing. It'll never be taken away from you because as we answered in the last hour, Everyone that the Father, you ask, everyone that the Father has given to the Son, it's the Son's will that he never loses any of them. So if you're in the Son, you can never be lost. I believe that with all my heart, otherwise Jesus would fail to move. It's not behavior-based. You can't sin your way out of heaven. You can't vacate Jesus. 
you're stuck with him if you're a believer. <laughs> you're a new creation. You can't uncreate yourself. I'm sorry that too much grace went on. Don't accept that. Have your own theology. I got to live and crawl with mine. I can show you from the Bible why I think so. Be like Abraham. Believe God. But that doesn't take care of the Christian life. An active, an act of faith in Christ's death takes care of everything that alienated us from God. An active faith, a moment-to-moment trust in the sufficiency of the indwelling Christ is what he expects the righteous to do because the righteous shall live by faith. He expects the righteous to have an active faith in the life of Christ, fulfilling the law of Christ in us and through us as us. It's the only way. We can't earn. We can't earn his grace. Grace is unearnable. It's unmerited. We can't earn his enablement. It's already there. He's already got it. All you have to do is trust it. Are you being pestered with a temptation? Lean on the Holy Spirit. He's not leading you to sin, and he's not ignoring you. He wants you to get in line. He's stronger than that sin. When Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He then said, praise be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he goes on to say in chapter 8, and I'd rather read it than paraphrase it. He says, For the law of the Spirit in life, the law of the Spirit of life, that's the Spirit of God in me, who's giving me life. The law of the Spirit of life has set us free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. You walk by the spirit and the righteous requirements of everything God has ever wanted from his children is automatically fulfilled because it's written on our hearts and we're standing in its righteousness. We're basking in its unconditionality. And like Paul says at the end of Romans chapter 8, he says, I am sure that neither death nor life or angels or rulers or things present or things to come or powers or height nor depth nor any else in all of creation is able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. An active faith in the life of Christ to fulfill the law of Christ. Do you really believe that Jesus is able to live the Christian life? Do you really believe that God has put that life in you as a born-again Christian? Do you believe that that life wants anything else, anything less than to live that life through you? He does. Do you believe that he'll enable you? By childlike trust, he will enable you to overcome that pattern that you're battling with, that pattern of laziness, that pattern of doubt, that pattern of 
fear, that pattern of paranoia, that pattern of anxiety, those, all the patterns. You, you saw, if you have a notebook, you saw those two pages of flesh patterns. That describes everybody in this room in some respect. Do you believe the Spirit of God is better than those flesh patterns? <laughs> yeah, I do. But an act of faith in the life of Christ, Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. An active faith. God has done everything necessary for life and godliness. We've been talking about that. We've been teasing some of that out. The only ability God requires from us, the only ability God requires from us, and Pastor Craig, I know you use the word surrender. Same and same thing, just using a different word because it's a play on that. The only ability God wants from me, from you, is availability. If you're not available to God, turn over to Hebrews chapter 3. I'm going to read you your postscript. <laughs> I'm going to read you what will be written on your eternal tombstone if you're not available to God. You want to hear it? It's kind of like when the ghost of Christmas future gets a hold of Scrooge and shows him what's to come. If you're not available to God as a believer, here's what you get. Beginning in verse 7, chapter 3 of Hebrews. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, whose voice? Spirit's voice. Oh, he does talk. Both. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. And I swore in my wrath, they won't have any rest. Take care, brothers. Lest there be any of you with an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of. You see, God left us in the mess so that we could trust him out of the mess. Sin can still deceive, deceive us and it can still harden our hearts. I've known a lot of believers who have been deceived by sin and whose hearts become very hard in many areas of their life. He's saying, don't become one of them. It's possible. For we come to share in Christ if we indeed hold our original confidence firm to the end. As he said, today, if you hear his voice, today, 
Saturday, if you hear the Spirit's voice, don't harden your heart as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all of those who were led out of Egypt? By the way, 1 Corinthians 10, were they not baptized through the sea to Moses? Were they not drinking of the same spiritual drink, which was Christ? The answer to that is yes and yes. They were all baptized. They all saw the deliverance. They all experienced the deliverance. They were moved from slavery to freedom, and they all drank from the same spiritual drink. But once they got to the other side, they could still have their hearts hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, and they could still say no to following the cloud. Do you think it's possible for the Christian to say no to the Spirit? I do. We can quench the Spirit. We can allow sin to harden us in such a way through many, many ways, through many avenues, in such a way that when the Spirit says, come on, let's go into the land. Jump in the water. I've got you if you jump. I go, I ain't not going in that water. I've done it. Fortunately, God wasn't done with me. He never is. He's in the saving business, not the condemning. The only ability God wants for me as this little kid, Ed Vizego, the only ability he wants from Ed is availability. All the blessings of every spiritual blessing and all the grace and all the provisions in Christ are there. Everything's set in place. Everything's connected. I'm in Christ. And if I say no, I'm on my own. The Galatians could sow to the flesh and reap corruption. Galatians chapter 6. But they could also sow to the Spirit and reap eternal life. The question I want to leave you with as we close and as we go into a question and answer time is pretty simple. I've told you some of the promises and some of the glorious riches of his grace, which he's lavished on us. He has lavished his grace on us in the person of Jesus Christ through the working of the Spirit. He's done it all. The question he asks us is, Joe, are you available? I'll pick on Joe. Oops, trouble with getting in the front row. Joe, are you available when if I call your name? If I call you, forget your name, brother. Dan, Dan, if I call you today, if you hear my voice today, maybe 2.38 this afternoon, you go, huh, God just gave me an idea. Are you available? You see, if you're available, you got it all at your disposal. If you're not available, it doesn't matter, does it? <laughs> Remember the two kids? Father says, go out into the field. And says, I'm go, I'll do it. Never went. The other son, I don't want to do it. Changed his mind. Who was available? The second kid. Availability. Walk by faith. It's all been done. In the perfect life, Jesus Christ responds to our need by mediating life. And in the perfect life, 
our only response is the same one God expected from Abraham, from David, from Paul, from Peter. Do you believe what I just said? If I call you, if you hear my voice, whether through the preached word, the written word, a friend, or just a thought in the head, and there's all kinds of ways. If you hear my voice today, all right, open it up for questions. Anybody got a question for me? Good. That was good. Okay. No, I, I, I'm not dodging. Any questions? Take your time. Uh, we promised in the program setup that we would have time for question and answer. Now, about the subject, I mean, I can answer other questions, but don't ask me where did uh, Cain get his wife. I, I don't know. It was an online dating service. Yes. Yes. The question is, should we, should we not pray, God, make me available? And the answer is, yeah, absolutely. I pray for everything about my life. Listen, if you're not praying for yourself, probably nobody else is. I mean, if you don't care enough to pray for yourself, probably nobody else cares enough either. Ever think of it that way? Pray for yourself. Pray for your life. Pray for the incomplete parts of your life. Pray about everything. You know, God, I'm scared. God, make me unafraid. I, I don't know how you're going to do that. I don't know all the things that will take place, but I'm asking, why not? I don't want to be scared. I don't want to be paranoid. I don't want to be angry. I don't want to be like this anymore. I want to grow up. The only one who can grow me up is God. So ask. You have not because you go ahead and ask him. The worst that he could say is still got some things to work out. You're not ready for that yet. But it's come. It's on your heart. It's coming because he gives us the desires of our heart. Great question. Pray for everything that's on your heart. The worst that can happen is it was a stupid prayer request. <laughs> He'll never give you stupid stuff. Yes, not losing our salvation. Yes. We can quench the spirit. I believe that. It says so in, a, in Ephesians. Or grieve the spirit. Thank you. Yes. The outcome of the person who grieves the Holy Spirit or quenches the Holy Spirit. Okay, a person, first of all, if he sows to the flesh, reaps corruption. So the person who doesn't rely upon the Holy Spirit to transform his life into the law of Christ, the ex visible expression of the law of Christ, is stuck with himself to work it out, and the end result of that is corruption. So you will not experience life and peace. That person will experience death, not eternal death. That's been taken care of, but Paul uses the word death in Romans chapter 8 to quant qualify the type of life that, that we live. I've lived in death many times. 
living in my own strength, and I know it when I'm doing it. But I also know when there's life and peace. So what happens to the person who relies upon their own strength? They may very well keep their religion intact and look real fine to the outside world, but inside they're tired, they're worn out. Jesus isn't working for them. And it's like being dead. All the parts are there, but you're not connected to the power. You're trying to justify your existence and your faith by the works you're doing. Stop it. Jesus already did those works. Trust him and then lean upon the same life-giving spirit that Jesus leaned upon. And you will begin to experience life and peace. Now, it takes time. All relationships take time. And it takes truth. You got to be honest. And it takes trust. You got to jump in the pool, even if it's the shallow end. We'll talk about time, truth, and trust tomorrow. But the, the life depending upon the flesh is the life of the Galatians we're headed for. Paul said in Galatians chapter 3, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you going to now perfect yourself by the flesh? If you try to seek to be justified by the flesh, he says in chapter 5, if you see, try to be justified by your works, Christ is of no benefit to you. You have fallen from grace. The operating system of God that keeps everything going in the Christian life is of no benefit to you because you're trying to do it on your own. That's the choice you have. Yes, sir. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, thank you, George. I love you too. And so do all these people. And his question was this. Could you, could you emphasize the apparent tension between the faith without works emphasis in Romans and Galatians and the apparent faith that works emphasis in James chapter 2? No. I'll do it, but you won't like my answer. Because too much of my other theology is going to guide my answer. You want my answer? Some of you, do you even know what I'm talking about? I believe that faith is defined as I said it today. It is a confident conviction. If you read through Hebrews 11 and the examples of faith, you discover that sometimes faith was just believing a proposition and there was nothing to do. For instance, the very next verse says, By faith, the elders knew that the worlds were framed by the word of God. That's a proposition. God created heaven and earth. What do I got to do about it? Accept it. By faith. There's some propositions you just accept. There are other propositions that you accept. And... Common sense says that requires a response. The response is slightly different than faith, but it's connected to faith. For instance, in Arizona, we have scorpions. We have several kinds, but the one you don't like is the bark scorpion. They don't bark. They hide in bark. 
and they're little and they're pale and they're the color of beige carpet. And if you get stung by them, your body's in hell for about two days. I know that. <laughs> I had my jeans hanging over the back of the chair in my office in our home. Mary went on a hike with the women's group. I put on my jeans. I walked about 10 steps, and I thought someone shot my leg off five times. And I pulled my jeans down, and a scorpion was resting on my shoe. It was only about this big. And for the next 24 hours, I burned like a cigarette lighter coil was stuck on my skin. And nothing made it decrease. And then the neurotoxins came in, my legs started quivering. And nothing made that stop. And then 36 hours later, I began to have a little bit of peace. Uh, and then about 48 hours later, I felt better. I believe there are bark scorpions, and they sting like heck. <laughs> and it hurts like I've never felt anything hurt in my life. I believe that. That's a proposition. You can believe that, too. You don't have to do anything about it. You know why? There aren't any here. You can believe it, though. But you know what I do now? There are blue lights. All scorpions glow in the dark. And I got a black light flashlight. <laughs> it's better than the alternative. <laughs> and because I believe the proposition about bark scorpions, I walk around the house and the yard sometimes going at night saying, anything glowing? Nope, 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 nope. Okay, no scorpions. So what I believe does prompt actions sometimes. But the belief and the action are not defined by the same word. One depends upon the other. What you believe will cause a response. So while Paul says, for righteousness, you need to believe God's proposition, believing certain propositions about God lead to certain actions. That's common sense. So if you think it's going to rain and cover the whole earth, and God says, build a box, you build a box. If you think there are bark scorpions in your living room, you get a black light. Now, the black light walking around isn't my faith. It's because of my faith. So I separate the two slightly. I think James, in his context, is talking to believers about the coming judgment of their works. And he says, if all you do is believe, and you don't respond to your belief with some visible evidence, when you stand before the Lord at the judgment of your works, you're not going to have anything to show. Because the, the discussion is preceded, George, by these words, so act and so speak as those who are going to be judged by the law of liberty. We are going to be judged, and then he ends the discussion by saying, and those of you who are teachers will have a stricter judgment. The context is believer's judgment, and it's based on our works, our faithfulness, and he's saying if you just have faith and you don't have any works, at that judgment of a believer's works, you're not going to have any vindication. But that's not talking about justification for eternal life. Some of you didn't like my answer, but that's okay. 
They're not in tension. They're talking about two different things, George. And you didn't you didn't like my answer, so you're getting up and leaving. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you could have asked that earlier. <laughs> All right. Listen. Yes, yeah, sir. From birth to the Jordan was Jesus indwelt by the Spirit. Your guess is as good as mine, but at the Jordan is when the Spirit came upon him uh, to empower him for the, for the messianic ministry. And that's all I'll say because that's all I have. To speculate on what he was like at the age of 14 in his relationship with the Holy Spirit, I've got, I've got no response. Okay, the wisdom of Jesus when he was 12, just consider this. He didn't have any selfish ambition and no self-determination getting in the way of his learning curve. That's a different kind of kid. No wonder why his brothers didn't like him. <laughs> Big brother always gets it right. <laughs> I wish he would just go away and be the Messiah or something. <laughs> if he thinks he's, he's got a messiah complex for crying out yes i had a theory okay <laughs> sovereignty of god and free will of man that's we handled that one last night and we're not going there again we really did. I know you weren't here there last night, Jerry, but you know what? That's a good one over a donut and a cup of coffee. All right. Okay. My wife says, explain the role of the notebook in what? In relationship to what this conference. Listen, I did not preach the notebook. I took out snippets. The notebook is a 99-page document that I wrote over the last four months trying to encapsulate everything, this, everything I would have said had we had about 10 weeks. I don't have 10 weeks, you don't have 10 weeks, but you can read the notebook. The notebook is being sold by the church at cost. I think there's like $1.70 or something over the cost of the entire notebook built into the $15. You can order it hard copy or you can get the code for the online electronic thing and just download it and print it up yourself for even less. Uh, I'm not in charge of that, but the notebook goes from soup to nuts. The author, he's a little bit crazy, but he's not stupid. <laughs> and it's everything I would have said had we had about a million weeks together. Yes, sir. Hey there. Go ahead, Alan. Perfect mess, perfect man, perfect life. Oh, we haven't talked about a lot of things, Alan, but go ahead. 
What about the lust? The law. The law. What about them? How do we break through the barriers that are built up in the minds of the lost? Number one, there's no single answer because everybody who's lost is as unique as you are. Not as unique as you are, Alan. Nobody comes close to that. But they're, they're uniquely different as we are different from one another. The only one who knows the differences in each person is... God, God the Holy Spirit. And he won't lead you to everybody, but he will lead you to the same like kind of crazy person that you are so that you can have a connection with them. Right? There are certain people I, I should never witness to. God never brings them around because he knows it would really be unfruitful. Trust me, it really would. And But he brings certain people into my life that they're like the, I'm like the only person they might ever listen to. And the same is going on in your life. And my, my answer to you, Alan, is in the redemptive love of Christ written on your heart by the leading of the Holy Spirit, he will lead you to be the person that person needs through the course of time and at the moment. And you will be the witness to them. You, it isn't what you say that's the witness. You are the witness. And that's all part and parcel of not only the life you live, but the things that come out of your mouth. You, everyone in this room is specially geared for somebody out there. And God knows that. And the Spirit will lead you to them. And you will connect and minister to them like nobody on the planet can do. That's the best answer I got for you. I can't minister to everybody. You know, everybody hears me teach. A lot of people walk out. But there's some people hear me teach. They like, I connect. We connect. I know that because the way I teach isn't geared for everybody. The way you live isn't geared for everybody. But the way you live is geared for somebody. It's geared for, and, and we will connect. God will connect us. And he will turn the world upside down. And faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. And you folks are the body of Christ. You're the arms, you're the legs, you're the mouthpiece of Christ. And you are uniquely fashioned to be those points of light of Jesus' life incarnate that somebody out there will recognize and go, I've never seen that before. reason pastors having a guest speaker say the same things he preaches every week is because if it comes out of a different mouth different people hear it and they go huh I never heard that before and I know as a pastor you sit back and go I say it every week right pastor and you're sitting there going there isn't anything why did we bring this guy in I say everything this guy's saying what a waste of time and money 
we're all unique. Alan, let the Spirit connect you with the guy, the gal, the person that needs you. I saw a hand over here. Yes. Yes. Okay, understanding and believing that God has it all planned tells me I can't alter God's plan, and that's true. I just have to flow with it. Well, I've got a saying, and Rob reminded me of my saying last night, Rob, and here it comes. Uh, I like to say it this way. The future is certain because God's got it all planned, but the method he chose to unfold his plan is through us. The future is certain, but it's ours to unfold. So the choices you make unfold the future. So be careful of what you choose. <laughs> I practice. This is what I do in my office. <laughs> While I wait for sales calls, <laughs> which come all day long. <laughs> We'd like to sell you a new copier plan. Is your, is your pest control okay? Yeah. How are your air conditioning? Cool. Anyway, any other question? <laughs> I used to do this when I was just out of high school. I had a job at a factory where we cut panels with big knives, big serrated knives, like, like steak, like bread knives. And, of course, we wore gloves, but I would... Count how many flips end over end I could do and catch it by the handle. It's a good thing I wore gloves. <laughs> I'm crazy, but I'm not stupid. Any rate, any other questions? We're, we're about done here, Pastor. It's 1215. Um, this man here, I'm getting to know. I now know he's a beloved brother in Christ who knows and loves Jesus. My brother, thank you for having me here. You got any questions for me? Later. Later. Too bad. Later. When I've got you alone. You're right, Jerry. He's a little crazy. No, I'm very... <laughs> Very, very selfish about this whole weekend, and, and a lot of this came about from my selfishness, if I can admit that. As I've gotten to know Ed and his teaching and his philosophy, it's amazing how it marries well. Because everything he talked about up here is me. Now, you're looking at somebody that had a 33-year career in marketing, had the world by the tail, and God created a perfect mess. He yanked it out from under me. May a 33 career, and I won't take time to go into it because we don't have time, but a 33-year career was ended with a three-minute phone call. And I got bitter and angry. I hate to admit it. You know, I had a great career, sales and marketing, was an elder, taught Sunday school. What more could God want, right? Well, he wanted me. And he had to create the perfect mess in order for me to see the plan. 
And when our last pastor, who was only here for about a year, came to me, I knew it wasn't working. We were having some struggles, and, and uh, he came to me, and he said, you know, Craig, he said, I think God brought me here to change the direction of the church so you could take it over. And you know what my reaction was? Don't blame your failures on me. Literally. I mean, I got really angry with him. But over the course of a couple of months, God began to change me in such a way that when the opportunity came and asked me, would you just do the preaching for a while so we can get through? The last several years have been the most fulfilling, rewarding years of my life. And so when you teach last night and today, I'm fighting tears right here because he's talking about my life. And I'm excited that here at Grace, the people of this church are embracing that doctrine. And we're very excited. So I just want to thank you for coming here. You've made this a great success for being here. Um, some of you have said, you know, we weren't prepared last night to give an offering, but I, uh, I put a jar out on the back table there by the um, member service desk. If you want to go ahead and put some in, you're welcome. We're not going to take another offering. Um, those of you who want the recordings from this weekend, um, there's a sign-up out there. You can put your name and address, and we'll contact you as soon as we have them ready. And then also tomorrow in our service, um, Ed will be bringing the message. Our service is at 1015 if you're free. And uh, we'd love to have you back. But, but again, thank you so much. Thank you, Ed. It's been hugely profitable. Sit there and watch. Availability. Oh, yeah, I thought I was available. But he took the, took, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I got thrown into the pool. I didn't decide. I got thrown in, so. But God bless you. Have a great day. Thanks for coming.